Welcome to our continuing 2018 educational webinar series. I am Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Specialist for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Pam Jocelyn, MMCMC, CMIS, CMOM of Practice Management Institute. Pam has more than 20 years of medical practice management, coding, reimbursement, and compliance experience. She has managed medical practices ranging from single to multi-specialty groups and ASC. She is an advocate of process improvement, empowering employees to bring about the best practice results for the organization. She's a community college adjunct instructor and serves on three advisory boards. She received her master's in management from University of Phoenix, and she maintains a member of MGMA and AAPC and maintains memberships in professional organizations to support her continuing cycle of learning in the ever-changing healthcare industry. Practice Management Institute works with healthcare systems, hospitals, medical societies, and provider organizations and learning institutions nationwide to provide training for administrative staff working in outpatient facilities. Classes address the latest updates relevant to medical office coding, billing, operations, and compliance. Since 1983, thousands of medical office professionals have attended PMI training, nearly 20,000 have earned one or more PMI certifications in their areas of expertise. A copy of the slide deck is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We'll address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM CEU certificate will be emailed to you from PACOM following the broadcast there is no need to request it. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. Pam, go ahead. Thank you very much, Catherine, and it is an honor to be here with all of you today as we talk about another continuing hot, ever-going topic in managing our revenue cycle. So we're going to talk today about some keys to optimizing your revenue cycle. So within our conversation today, we're going to look at just the definition of the, uh, the revenue cycle. And what I want you to see is almost everybody in your organization fits into one or uh, more of the roles. So managing and optimizing your revenue cycle is a team effort within your organization. And then we're going to look at some of the barriers that we know practices uh, across the United States are experiencing in optimizing the revenue cycle. And why do we manage it? Why is it important to manage uh, the revenue cycle? Then we're gonna look at the revenue cycle management team, look at each uh, step of the revenue cycle, and then the job description. Someone, with, someone within your organization needs to have each Step of the revenue cycle in their job description in order for you to, to mop, uh, optimize your individuals and uh, the revenue cycle. And then we're going to close up looking at some key indicators and benchmarking uh, because if you don't know how you're managing your revenue cycle and you're setting uh, reasonable goals, then you can't know how to uh, optimize uh, the money that's coming into your practice and being able to look at the barriers that you're having to being successful. So when we look at the definition of revenue cycle management, the Healthcare Financial Management Association helps us with this. So when we, you look at the structure of your existing practice and the definition and see how uh, the individuals in your practice, how they actually fit into this description. So the revenue cycle is defined as all administrative and clinical functions that contribute to the capture, management and collection of patient service revenue. So in other words, it's a term that uh, includes the entire life cycle of this patient's account 
from creation, from the beginning, even before they come to your practice, all the way to uh, the payment cycle. And as we know, the revenue cycle can process, it can flow very smoothly. But if each step of the revenue cycle is not moving smoothly, then it's very easy for one of the areas to be a barrier and affect another area and cause this big uh, hindrance, big barrier in your cycle. So if you are re if you monitor and you um, address your problems early in the cycle, then you'll be more uh, successful. I think you would agree with me. You probably see this in your practice of your revenue cycle uh, already, that if you don't identify these problems earlier, they can have a negative rippling effect on other areas in the cycle. So what do we manage? This uh, simple phrase, revenue cycle management, but look at all we have to manage. Uh, it starts with contract management, moving it over into registration and pre-registration and getting the correct information from the patient. And then uh, doing the uh, verification with the eligibility then we have the documentation that's created in our EMRs. Uh, we can have some type of transcription, documentation. Uh, we have to have that before we can do the coding. Then we're ready for our charge entry and our claim submission. Then we have our payment posting, our patient billing, denial management, our, then our patient payer follow-up. This is where we're also going to visit and look at our, our key indicators. Uh, at the end of the cycle. So let's take a little uh, bit and talk about the financial barriers that we see a lot in our practices. And I pulled together some uh, national statistics for you. It's very easy for you to see within your practice how you're struggling, but understand that it's not just you, that this is a, a nationwide problem. So we can go back to the benchmark study that we had from the AMA. This 2013 National Health Insurer Report Card revealed to us that 19.3% of claims paid by commercial insurance companies were incorrect. But within that percentage of claims, looking at our practices and how much did you contribute to the incorrect payment of, of these claims? And in addition, patients owe larger portions of their medical bills due to increases in deductibles and the cost share of employer premium. We're gonna uh, look at that a bit deeper in just a second. And then we have another report from Instamed that shares with us they found 74% of the healthcare providers uh, reported an increase in uh, the patients being transferred with this financial responsibility. If this started significantly back in 2015, and this prompted the healthcare revenue cycle management strategies with more of the money shifting to the patients as a financial responsibility, we're shifting more to our consumers. Looking at some high deductible health plan statistics that uh, can play in as a barrier and the seeing how you can manage uh, with your patients more of financial responsibility up front is huge and this is why. The affordable uh, health care has lowered the uninsured rate in the United States from 15 to 7% that it was in 2009 to 9.1%. So our health systems that used to collect a majority of these health care reimbursements from the government or from our third-party payers, more of that responsibility is being shifted to our patients. And we know that because of the high enrollment that we have in the high deductible uh, plans. That's increased over the last five years from 19% of covered workers back in 2012 to 2017, and you have a 28%. So looking at the number of Americans age 18 to 64 with a high deductible plan, uh, that number increased from 26 0.3% in 2011 to 39.3% last year. So among our privately insured um, adults with high deductible plans in 2016, it's reported that 15.5% reported having difficulty pay, paying their medical bills in the past year. And that compares to a 10.3% of adults that carry a traditional health plan.
Then we have researchers telling us that in the average medical practice, providers can only anticipate collecting 50 to 70 percent of the patient's balance after the encounter. And 70% of the providers stated that it takes a month or longer to receive the payment from the patient. And for those patients who deductibles equal to 5% or more of their annual income, 40% of those chose not to seek out a physician or maybe get a medical test, or maybe they've been referred to a specialist because they just simply cannot afford to do so. So we know what happens when our patients delay these necessary or these preventive medical care. They can end up in an urgent care or they can end up in a hospital emergency room for treatment instead. So uh, emergency room physicians report about 80% of them said that they're treating uh, insured patients who have sacrificed or delayed this medical care due to their out-of-pocket expenses that they could not afford. So let's take a look here. This is a percentage of covered workers enrolled in a high deductible healthcare plan by firm size. So back in 2006, we have the dark navy there. That's three to 199 workers and 5% back in 2006 was the high as compared to the category of firms that had 200 to 999 workers, that's the medium blue collar there. And the light blue collar is 1,000 or more workers. So back in 2006, the smaller firms that had three to 199 workers um, had more covered workers enrolled in the high deductible plans. Now let's take a look at 2017, where we have 23% of the uh, small firms that is enrolled in the high deductible plans. We have 29% of the firms that have 200 to 999 workers that are enrolled in a high deductible plan and 31%, that's the same as it was last year, uh, that have a thousand or more workers. So you can see the relativity and I'm sure uh, depending on where your practice is, this is geographically um, impacted as well as to the size of the organizations and the companies that are in your area. So you can see if you have a lot of your patient population and they're enrolled in high deductible plans that you're gonna um, have more of a challenge in setting up financial arrangements and collecting from them. So here we're looking at the percentage of covered workers that enrolled in the high deductible plans, the HRA or the HSA. Uh, back in 2006, there was 4% that had a high deductible plans with an HRA. And uh, that has risen to 29% in 2016. And 2017, it dropped by one point in comparison to the HDHP, HRA, and the HSA qualified HD HP plan. And here looking at the average annual premiums and contributions for our covered workers, um, this has to do with the organizations and the organizations for cost effectiveness are passing on more to their employers. So that is another problem that you have in your plan, not in your practices, not addition to the high deductible plans, but the cost share with their employer base is increasing as well. The total annual cost, premiums, and account contributions for covered workers that are in the high deductible plans for family coverage, and this is by firm size. So the Navy uh, colored here on our graph is the employer account contribution compared to the medium blue, which is the employer contribution to the premium. And the lighter blue is the worker contribution. Take a look on the left-hand side of the graph and see what you have in comparison between the uh, small firms, the large firms, and then there's a comparison with all firms uh, contrasting the uh, HDHP HRA with the HSA qualified um, high deductible plans. 
and the distribution of covered workers with the following general annual deductible amounts for single coverage. I know you see this in your practices as well. And you can see that for the HDHP and the HRA, the all firms, compared to the HDHP HRA, we go from 17 to 77% with the smaller firms. And those are the ones that's in the light blue uh, that have um, $1,000 to uh, 1,999 as a um, their general annual deductible. The medium blue is 2,000 to 2,999. And then the navy is $3,000 or more. You can see the contrasting here in between the size of the firm and the distribution of the uh, annual deductible amounts for a single coverage. So these are. this is just a synopsis uh, of why you can see in every practice we need to be more, uh, have a more perspective of uh, management to the revenue cycle because the average out-of-pocket cost for a patient has risen by 230% over this same time period more than 90% of uh, persons that are enrolled in the exchange plan through the Affordable Care Act are in this high deductible health plan. And also looking at your practice and how we manage our revenue cycle, the average cost of working denials and rejects can be as much as $25 a claim. So it's very important to communicate uh, with our patients early on before they come to their patients to they come before they come to your practice, but it's also very important to be efficient um, in your revenue cycle and give feedback to each area of the revenue cycle as uh, how they con are contributing positively or if there's some negative ripple uh, on your team. Here's just a comparison <clears throat> when we talk about um, the glaring amount of um, $25 to repost process and refile claims, uh, I think it's something that really needs to be uh, stressed uh, with your team. It needs to be monitored. And sometimes we think of that $25 as just like, like a hypothetical or a fictitious number. But here's a graph to putting that, that together. Looking on the left-hand side where you have um, uh, in the pink, you have the 90% pass through rate. And on the right-hand side, you have the 95 pass passing rate and how much money uh, it costs you in refiling costs as opposed to clean claims. I think that's something within every practice that someone needs to be monitoring and sharing with your team. So when we look at the revenue cycle, this is where we want you to look um, at your individual structure within your practice and to realize that someone uh, needs to be uh, actively involved in each of these steps of the revenue cycle, and they need to be giving and getting feedback as far as, far as how they are functioning uh, within the cycle, whether they're having a negative or a positive effect. You want to look at your payer contracts, your registration, your pre-registration, your eligibility verification, uh, when you're creating your documentation in your EMRs, that's very important. That has an impact on your coders being able to code accurately. And capturing your charges, moving through with your claim submission, processing your pay payments. Then you're moving over to your patient billing, looking at your denial management with your rejects, and then looking how you manage uh, your receivables and your patient payer follow-up. So with your payer contracts, this is the beginning of your revenue cycle. Very often, we don't think that far back. We think all oh, the front desk, but it actually goes back way farther than that. Uh, this is uh, determined even before your patient makes contact with your office. Someone needs to be trained in your office <clears throat> about your payer contracts and uh, the eligibility of the benefits and, and is trained in being able to communicate uh, this information uh, that's necessary to your patients. They need to understand the terms of the insurance contract, your uh, 
individuals in your practice that do the posting. They need to understand what is reasonable to accept and anticipate from the payers. And this is team. It's not just the, the billing office. And we see that's the concentration. When we think about revenue cycle management, our minds just kind of all go to the business office staff. But uh, hopefully you'll, you'll change your mind a little bit and you'll begin to see that it actually begins even before the patient comes to the office. So the process of getting paid accurately and being able to optimize your revenue cycle starts before the patient even comes to your practice. Looking at the registration, pre-registration, eligibility, this is where you're gathering uh, the patient information before and during this reg registration cycle. You're looking at collecting patient demographics, insurance information during the scheduling, maybe it's an initial phone call with the patient, looking uh, if there's an authorization that's needed for that procedure, for that visit, then this is where you start to talk to the patient about the payment expectations. Looking to see if you have a, a robust and very comprehensive uh, financial policy. We have a, an example here for you, which will be a, a guide, good guide for you to look at what you have already existing uh, with your practice. And how, how do you want to be communicated? How can I remind you uh, that you have an appointment? Tracking your no-shows um, can be um, detrimental to your revenue cycle management as well. And uh, we are very passionate about this, and every uh, organization should be, that each time your patient comes in, to ensure that your, your front desk uh, demographics uh, need to be verified. Um, this is also for uh, prevention of medical identity theft. So, you know, financially and also a security of your patient, um, they need to present with their insurance card and a form of ID. And have a well-trained staff. Now, let's just pretend that your patient is coming in and they've already been communicated that they have a, um, a $50 copay for uh, that visit. So they have already been uh, conditioned to come to your practice where someone is going to ask them for that money. So having a front office staff, and we all know the functionality of an office staff has trained significantly through the years. Having someone trained in the skills of asking for money is very important as well. It is much easier to collect from patients prior to the services being rendered. And what this does for the revenue cycle, you can see where if you don't have a trained staff that's skilled in asking for copayments, and also um, very often this is a contractual arrangement as well. And it doesn't hurt to explain that to your patient as well. If you have a contract from a major carrier and it tells you that you need to collect uh, at the time of service, then your staff needs to be aware of that as well. And then we talk about the positive or the negative effect on um, the other areas of the revenue cycle. This is a perfect example, you know, just at the beginning of our conversation. If you have a, a well-trained staff, they collect their copays, it reduces the number of patient accounts that can end up in bad debt or collection status. And it is this point in the revenue cycle and the patient uh, engaging in the finances that they should have the opportunity to speak to someone if they're having um, financial issues and they need to maybe be set up on a payment plan. So we included here just some scripts for requesting payment or informing uh, the patient about the payment responsibilities. Uh, for example, when you have a new patient with an insurance that makes an appointment, uh, just letting them know that payment is due at the time of service, unless you bring a current uh, insurance card. In this case, only the copayment and the deductible amount would be due. It doesn't hurt to have uh, nice little signs in your office as well. I see that uh, a lot in uh, my doctor's offices. Just a gentle reminder of what they told me when I made my first appointment. And looking at the power of having a um, 
very informative, comprehensive financial policy where you uh, talk about uh, the name of your group and just let them know that you care about their, their, he their health care needs, but you also care about their helping them with their financial responsibilities as well. Uh, you can put your office hours on there. There's appointment information, and we highlighted uh, this at the bottom. If you do not cancel your appointment at least 24 hours before, or if you no-show, we will assess you a $25 missed appointment fee. Uh, my doctors do that for me, so I am fully aware that if I don't let them know within 24 hours, I can expect when I go back again, or I can expect to hear from them that, I'm, that I've accrued a $25 uh, debt already, and I haven't even been there. So a section on payment for services, letting them know we accept cash, check, tell them what kind of credit cards, give them information uh, if you have a returned check fee. And here, in order to participate in protecting your medical identity, we ask for you to bring a copy of your health insurance card, driver's license, upon your check-in. Talking to them about their unmet deductibles, co-insurance, co-payments, and how they can expect for that to be handled. And if they have uh, issues with their financial responsibilities, who can help them with that within uh, your organization? Giving them that information up front in the financial uh, policy is a respectful thing to do, and it's also very helpful in getting your patients engaged in their own financial uh, success with your organization. Tell them about special arrangements. Just let them know how user-friendly uh, you are. Uh, the more information that you give them, this is a, a great communication tool. And what do we know about communication? The more information you have, the better communication you have up front, the more success you have at having a good, healthy communication about your patient's finances. Here's the information you can give them on the insurance claims, just letting them know uh, if your insurance company uh, covers services rendered to that group, whether they cover, they don't cover, uh, the ultimate responsibility is going to be uh, with you as a patient. And look here how they're engaging them in number A. Um, contact your insurance company as to the reason for the delay, and B, make regular payments on your account to keep it with a good standing. And then after your insurance pays, let them know any overpayment is going to be refunded to them. Uh, divorced parents or patients, letting them know if they have a minor child coming into the practice that day, how they can expect that to be handled. And form fees. Oh, and here we get into uh, expectations. So if you have patients that, and you fill out forms for them, maybe disability, FMLA forms, et cetera, and you don't uh, give them a time frame, do they not repeatedly call your office? Say yes, because I know that what's happened. So here you're telling them, this is a $10 fee, and uh, you can expect it to be done within 10 business days. I would actually say within seven to 10 business days or whatever is reasonable for your office, giving them a range. And then if they call prior to that, you can gently remind them. Remember in the fi financial policy, we let you know that it's gonna uh, be seven to 10 business days. So that w it, the more you communicate uh, the goals within your organization, uh, the better feedback that you have and the better a cooperation and engagement you can expect to have uh, with your patients. And then just finishing up, if they have an emergency um, uh, information, how they can, uh, how you can redirect them. And if they have a complaint, we're all into patient satisfaction. I think we would all agree in practices that we learn a lot by uh, the criticism and the complaint uh, from our patients. And then have them to read and understand. I read and I understand the practice's financial policy and I agree to be bound by its terms. I also understand and agree that such terms may be amended by the practice from time to time. And then you have this on file. And then if you have a misunderstanding with a patient and it's covered in your financial policy, 
it is so much easier to go back to that main source, that main document, because you have already shared this information with them. So when we look at the front desk, uh, you always want to verify, and you've told them up front, you've told them in the financial policy, so their expectation should be when they come to your front desk, that your front desk um, individual asks them for their insurance card, for a driver's license, some type of photo ID, and they actually look at that information and verify the demographics within the system, that they feel comfortable to talk to them about a time of service collection. Looking at the EMR creation, the documentation, this is the level, uh, this is another benchmark uh, report uh, we wanted to share with you. Uh, back in 2014, the OIG, or the Office of Inspector General, found that 55% of the claims for their evaluation and management services were coded incorrectly, or they lacked documentation. So this resulted in around $6.7 billion in proper payments. So looking at that same report, and when we give you the statistical information, if you're doing auditing uh, within your organization, then you know that these are problematic um, issues in the practice that the Office of Inspector General is looking at. So this is the area when you're doing the EMR uh, creation and the documentation where uh, this, play, this plays in. Because what's it going to do to your revenue cycle management if you're not monitoring this um, step in the revenue cycle? So looking at do you have E&M services that are upcoded or undercoded, or maybe they're lacking sufficient documentation, or maybe they were just billed with the wrong category of codes. And within this sampling, 26% of all the claims for E&M were overcoded. So 15% of them were undercoded, and 19% lacked sufficient documentation, or they were billed uh, under the wrong uh, category of code. Looking at cloned records and many practices, we know that that's a problem as well. And the authenticity uh, counts for completeness. It has to support the medical necessity uh, in order uh, uh, to assure that uh, the appropriate payment has been made. Use of EHR system can present risk by the overuse of copy-paste functions, or you may have these auto-fill templates uh, that create cloned notes. Looking at the element uh, on the review of systems and the phys uh, physical exam, that has to be supported by the history of present illness, or the HPI, which is documented by each of your providers for each visit. Um, using templates that have this automatically uh, fill mode in the complete review of systems with these pre-selected content or physical exams with pre-populated normal findings, the problem with that is it may or may not support the medical necessity. And I know you've seen this before. If it wasn't documented, it wasn't done. And if you didn't do it, don't document it as well. Looking at medical necessity and the definition uh, that Medicare gives us, medically necessary services. This is defined as healthcare services or supplies that are needed to prevent, diagnose, or treat a patient for an illness, an injury, a condition, uh, or their symptoms of the, the, the disease, and it has to meet the accepted standards of medicine. So with that definition in mind, when we're looking at a service that's going to be considered medically necessary, it has to be reasonable and necessary to diagnose or treat the patient's medical condition. So essentially, we're looking at the why and the what of each uh, patient encounter. So in the medical necessity piece of it, you're looking at the service, tells, tells the payer why a service was performed. Then so the diagnosis uh, helps support the medical necessity of the procedure. Here's just a short example. We have a patient presenting to the office with chest pain and physician orders at, at EKG. So you have a EKG, and the physician reports a, a CPT code for that. And then the reason the physician orders the EKG is because the patient is complaining of the chest pain. 
So then you would have the appropriate diagnosis at this time. It's unspecified chest pain. So that would be an example of uh, uh, the why and the what of ordering the uh, EKG. So uh, the provider should be queried if they order a chest X-ray and they don't give uh, enough information as to why they ordered a chest X-ray, or maybe they order a knee X-ray and they talk uh, about the chest, but they don't say anything about uh, the knee. This is something that your coder, when they do the verification before you send it out to your uh, carrier, this will help you eliminate a claim denial. And if everyone in your organization that touches the claim has this $25 in mind, it will help resonate and you need to help everybody be on team to uh, be more proactive before you send in your claim, rather than uh, working denials on the backside all the time. You have to uh, be clear why the tests were ordered for the diagnosis that was documented and that it supports the medical necessity. Looking at advanced beneficiary notices or ABM, this is a very important for your front desk. Uh, somebody within your organization needs to, uh, if you know the patient has a procedure and the doctor talks to them and you already know that Medicare, uh, there's a chance they won't pay for that, this is where you can have a conversation with the patient, give them the information. If they sign the ABN, they agree to the treatment, then it's uh, uh, we see a very good success story uh, with patients uh, paying because they have been informed prior to having the procedure. So once again, having their engagement. Uh, here's an example of the, uh, the on the day of service at the registration or the checkout, just letting them know what the total charges are. Maybe they have a discount portion uh, telling them the charges for today. I would place your discount of $80. Your payment is $40. How would you like to pay? Cash, check, or a credit card. Just some information. Maybe your patients can't pay in full. Hopefully, prior to this, you have had someone talk to them about that if they're having a, a problem and uh, before they come in, if they're to make a payment, uh, so that there's not this uncomfortableness at the front desk. So looking at capturing charges and your claim submission, having a, a written policy within your organization that uh, says <clears throat> you're at the end of the day, uh, all the charges have to be in, 24 hours, 48 hours, you know, I've seen that all over the board. And uh, this needs to be, you need to work with your clinical team as well to be on board with all this. This is huge uh, within the organization. Making sure that you have pre-authorization. We all know clean claims and statements uh, that all translate into a faster cash flow, getting into first claims rates. Optimizing your staff means that you have to have enough trained uh, individuals in each of these steps of a revenue cycle in order uh, for all this to work uh, smoothly. You want to be able to send the claims to your payers as soon as they are ready, looking uh, at your software, keeping communication going on with your clearinghouse that help you identify these problems, some of them catch them on the first pass, you know, before you send them out the door. But then they have other edits as well to help you along uh, the way. Hopefully you have some auditing in place where your software and your clearing houses really can't help you. And that's where you have someone looking at your documentation, looking at your claims and the codes that your providers want to bill uh, before you even send them out. That's uh, the best practices there uh, on doing auditing before you send uh, your claims out. And then looking at pay payment posting, this has to be accurate as well. There's nothing more embarrassing than having your patients call because there's been some problem uh, with a missed posting. Uh, you also want to look for false credit. These are when your transactions are posting and set access of the true amounts. And this is going to leave a credit on your uh, patient's account. Looking at deflated AR, credit balances within your practice management system result in deflated uh, AR. Credit balances uh, are then subtracted from your practice's AR and may 
provide reporting that suggests the practice is more financially stable than it really is. Looking at incorrect patient statements have someone, I know within large organizations, this is a huge process, but we see a lot with the electronic um, billings that we have, electronic postings, that is a great feature. But you still want to do some random sampling, even with those organizations, to make sure everything is paying correctly. And how you can help your team uh, prevent errors. Um, everybody in your team um, needs to have an attention to detail, but everybody... Um, uh, also ha will have, you know, have struggles, you know, in, in any in given day. So having like a check sheet and have balancing out, doing quality on all these pieces within your organization. You have everyone that, that does the posting and the charging. You need to have someone else do the quality on that as well. Looking at your contractual adjustments amounts, your patient balances, all this, uh, you need to have verification steps and have someone else that did not perform uh, this function doing quality on that. Looking at your patient billing and collections, you want to give the patient a bill um, after they have rendered uh, the service. The patient will agree to pay for the services after leaving the office. If their insurance company doesn't cover the full amount, you should have that in your financial statement as well. Then once your uh, patient has paid their portion, they get their EOB, then you send them their mailed uh, statement. So if no payments received within 30 days, then you can put this in your financial um, policy as well as to what can be uh, expected. And the most successful times if you're making outbound calls to your patients are between 8 and 10, 5 and 9, and on Saturdays. Here's information that you could put in your financial policy if the patient, if the payment's not received within 30 days, what they can expect. If no payment's received within 15 days, if after the 30 days you send the last letter, whether you're connected with a, a collection agency or not, this needs to be communicated uh, with your patients and in your financial policy. So just a little script on after the day of the service. This is kind of introduce yourself. I'm calling about your balance of $1,000. Um, you haven't been able to make a payment the last 75 days. And how can we help you with that? Some more scripts uh, that you can use to uh, train your team. Uh, optimizing patient payments with technology, this is huge, especially with the millennial generation that's all tied into technology. Uh, so offering this to your patients can be uh, very um, valuable to your practice. Having the right online system and also doing the reoccurring uh, payments when, when possible, that is great to look at as well. Then when you get into coding and you're looking at why and supporting the medical necessity because you want to do random sampling, uh, your edits are going to catch uh, certain valuable uh, components that don't let them go out of your practice, and that is certainly uh, very valuable. But doing some random sampling with your documentation um, and checking your coding is the best way, really. So when we look at denied and rejected claims, looking at the Medical Group Management Association, 4% uh, of their claims uh, denied. This is even with best performing practices. These are great measurements because you're going to set goals, right? So you have to have some statistics to set the goals. Then you have 65% of denied claims uh, are never resubmitted, even with the best performing practices. And here you go again. Here is that $25 to resubmit a denied claim. Typically, 85 to 95% either get paid on the first pass or they prompt an action to redirect the collection to another party. Uh, and the remaining 5 to 15% of claims are opportunities uh, that you can look at to improve your revenue cycle. So looking at the key indicators, <clears throat> uh, high-performing best practices, uh, they're also collecting receivables more quickly than their peers because they have the right processes, the right training, the monitoring in place. They're only having 7 to 10% of their total AR in the 120 days category. That's another great benchmarking feature for you to look at to see how you fit in. 
So in other groups had 19 to 35% of their total AR in the 120 day category. Look, this is a great indicator if you, how your revenue cycle is working. It's a well-oiled machine, and that is crucial to the success of any practice. You want to concentrate on the highest and the oldest buckets that you have on the report. Additionally, 50% of the better performers reported collecting 90 to 100% of copayment at the time of service. Another key issue there. So when we're looking at key indicators, these are just a few. So uh, they will vary based on the type of specialty, the insurance contract, geographical locations, and your system capability. So whatever key indicators, if you're not doing this already, you want to pick three or four. And some of the ones that you can start with in the beginning is looking at your ratio of months of AR, your gross charges in AR, and your percentage of days in your accounts receivable. And what we did for you, we, these are system reports, but we found that if you don't understand exactly what you're measuring within these system reports, then you don't know where to go uh, to resolve these problems that you're having. So these are just a few definitions that we're gonna share with you. Uh, like I said, if you're new to this process, pick three or four uh, that you have and you wanna monitor the same key indicators every month to track your practice. Gross collections percentage. So that percentage is calculated by your dividing your dollar collections by your dollar gross charges. So the formula for when you wrote, uh, re run your gross collections is your collections is divided by your gross charges. Looking at the next collection ratio, uh, this is calculated by dividing dollar connect collections by your dollar net adjusted charges. And the formula looks like this, collections divided by charges minus your contractual adjustment and your patient adjustment. This is your more realistic collectible amount for your practice. Then you have an accounts receivable to receipts ratio, and this is important because it tells you how quickly your average account is being paid. And this ratio is going to be your AR balance divided by your collection. The benefit of looking at your AR to your charges, you wanna review all of these reports consistently and have this calculation over a period of months. Looking at the ending uh, accounts receivable balance by charges, you have your AR balance, and then you're going to divide that by charges. Any number above five, uh, you want to look, have a serious look uh, at uh, this process in your practice and where your barriers are. Then you have your average days outstanding, and this is how long it takes to collect on a charge, better known as a turnover rate. So the greater this number, the longer it takes your insurance plans and patients to pay you. You can run individual reports, and this is what uh, we recommend, to take a look at your carriers to see if you some, have some type of trending. Then go back to your contract and see what, what they promise for clean claims. So uh, with this formula, you're looking at the average AR balance divided by collections times the number of days in the period. So here uh, in closing, we just have a couple of visual uh, pie charts for you for uh, some specialties. Uh, if you're not doing any benchmarking, we found this very helpful. So looking at the primary care, you have the AR over 121 days as 21.64. You have your adjusted days in AR, 58.48, and gross days in AR, 35.81. And remember, this is gonna vary based on your geographical location, uh, your patient, and your payer mix. Then with the surgical AR uh, pie chart in days of uh, in AR, you have this AR over 121 days, 19.49, adjusted days in AR, 85.59, and the gross days uh, for the surgical is 36.31. For non-surgical days in AR, the AR over 121 is 15.45. Adjusted days, 88.96. And your gross days are 38.78 as a benchmark. Multi-specialty, your AR over 121 days is 17.98. 
adjusted days, 69.62, gross days, 37.51. So just some tools and tips that you uh, may want to just kind of bring it all together here in summary. In order to optimize uh, your uh, revenue cycle, some of the keys are to have policies and procedures in place that reflect your goals and in your culture and have your uh, your staff as well as your patients aware of what uh, those goals are. Uh, the better the expectations, the more you can engage your patients from the very beginning. Training cannot say enough about training your staff to effectively communicate with your patients. Nobody likes to talk about money, right? Nobody likes that. So uh, training them. We have some sample scripts for you. There are definitely um, more scripts out there, a lot of training uh, centers if that is a weakness within your organization. Educating your patients on your financial responsibilities, once again, engaging them from the very beginning, being their partners, not only in healthcare, but also affordable healthcare for them. And choose your key financial indicators uh, to help benchmark. Look at where you are. Do your own gap analysis. Look at where you are and look at where you want to be to declare that you're having um, financial success in your revenue cycle. So here we have some resources for you as well. Here is uh, contact information. If you have any questions, please reach out to me. And here's a slide. Uh, if you um, are interested in any classes, we have our website here, our online training center. And if you use the code PJ10, um, it'll ask you for a code when you go on the site. It, it also gives you a 10% discount on our programs there. So thank you very much for um, joining us today. I hope this was full of some valuable information uh, on how you can optimize your revenue cycle. And I will hand this back over to you, Catherine. Thank you so much, Pam. I really appreciate that. Um, would you mind, can you put the um, slide back up that has your contact information on there? I sure can. Okay. There we Perfect. Go. Perfect. Okay, great. So um, we did have a few questions um, that came in. So um, uh, the first question was, um, how do I get my front desk person to collect copays consistently? Oh, that is a great question. And we hear that all the time because maybe they were hired, you know, maybe back in the day and we see this a lot where it wasn't. Right. Uh, such a deal, right? Or it's not being, uh, hasn't been a policy or followed within the organization. So uh, the key is to support, you know, these are our goals uh, within our organization. Even if it hasn't been um, our new policy, this is our new policy telling people why is always good. And we provide a lot of information as to why this has to be key in the uh, front desk now, more so than in past years. But giving them the tools they need, education, the confidence, do some role playing. Uh, some people are good at role playing. Some people are uncomfortable uh, with that as well. But practice makes perfect, right, with, with this kind of situation. Right. They might have been uncomfortable because maybe they've been doing this for years and maybe they hadn't been used yeah. to um, doing that previously. And so, yes, I think that probably. Great point. Exactly. Right. And also, yeah, I think, I don't know, how do you think about this, Catherine? I think that, and I've been in practice where we have to kind of hold them accountable as well. You know what I mean? Uh, we've right. run reports as, as far as missed monies that walked out because copays weren't collected. And that's where the math comes in. You know what I mean? And showing them uh, how much money per week and per month just kind of walked out the door. So accountability and bringing them into this whole process is, it can be very effective. Right. And, you know, you have to think about it right then, you know, yeah, people, you know, you have to think about it right, right then. Often people, you know, people are, are thinking about it. Uh, you have to get it. I think, I think it's a great idea to get it up front because also people, maybe, maybe they had to wait for the physician and then they had time while they were, while they were waiting in the beginning. But at the end, maybe they're busy. You know, they have to pick up their kids after school or whatever, you know, and it's better to oh, just yeah, collect yeah. it at the beginning. 
<laughs> I think. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yep. And you get you know? your practice used to that. You get your patients used to that. It's all that upfront right. communication that we've been talking about. Yeah. Right. Great. Great point. Right. So we have another question here. It says, um, I am a single physician in a new practice. What do I need to know about choosing between in-house and outsourcing my billing processes? Oh, that's a great question, too. Uh, I've done both, and it, it is interesting to me that you need the same information. You need compliance plans, right? You have to have the structure of accountability, compliance plans. You have to have trained individuals, like the coding section. You know, we're talking about AR all through that, that, that cycle. Uh, you have to have trained individuals. Uh, you have to have the same reporting whether it is what we call in-house or outsource, in-house, outhouse, <laughs> you know, whatever for your billing <laughs> process. You have to have the same information and you need feedback quickly, whether things are working well or not. Uh, I've been in organizations that didn't have this streamline and we were all together under one roof. But the communication from the business office and the issues that the other part of the revenue cycle, you know, say the front desk or either providers that were doing the coding, there was not this uh, um, urgency for feedback. And whether you have it, it all within your organization or whether you outsource, you can have somebody right next door or have somebody in the next state. It doesn't matter, but you have to have the same uh, communication, frequent communication when there's a problem. Okay, great. Great. And we had another question. It says, what are the biggest challenges you see as an instructor with practices and managing the revenue cycle? Mm. I have to tell you, I think it is training and feedback because we, we get busy. Everybody is busy in healthcare. I think you would agree with that, and everybody on our in our class today would agree with that as well. Taking the time, you have to train and make sure everybody's a good fit. You know, maybe that individual is not a good fit anymore in in um, that front desk. Maybe they can't ask for money. You know, but walking alongside these individuals when you're doing this monitoring, you create first the new culture. If that's what you need to do, you train everybody and you monitor it, and then you give feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Reward and, you know, verbalization as to, uh, you need to let them know, this is where we were, this is where we are this month, and this is where we need to be. And if you have a month, you don't meet your goals, I think that is one of the biggest challenges is getting back to people, once again, in a timely manner, to give them the feedback. And go in within that area to see what their obstacles are. I think it's busy, it's huge because we're we're so busy in management. Whether you're busy, whether you're in a business office or in a practice, but uh, this is it's, it's crucial to to train and monitor and give feedback. Great, great. And it looks like we had one more question, and it said, "What action can be taken if my managed care contract?" slash insurance company continues to deny claims that are billed correctly the first time? Oh, this is another one that we see all the time. And uh, what we recommend is you pull your contract and you look at the conditions of the contract. What were the promises early on in this relationship, you know? <laughs> and then you look at the results that you're getting. Maybe they're not paying accurately or they're not paying in, in time. And you want to start out early again with the feedback and reconnecting with this organization and um, revisiting the conditions of the contract. Because if this continues and you can't afford, this, this gets down to can I afford to do this, uh, when it comes near your uh, contract renewal or termination, and this is not working with you, and maybe it's costing you money in delayed claims, or remember that $25, you can do that math, you know, uh, whether it's real or hypothetical, you can do that math on the amount of claims that they're not paying correctly, and you may think that at the end of the contract year, you may not want to have a contract with that managed care company anymore. You can run a report in your system easily 
and track your money and the times for your payment. You know, we gave you uh, great uh, key indicators that you can measure right against that individual uh, managed care company. Great, great advice. Thank you so much. Well, I think we're um, just about out of time here. So, um, so thank you so much, Pam. I really appreciate your time. And it was a really, really wonderful and very educational webinar. Um, so we have your contact information here for, uh, for PMI. And um, so we have your contact information there on the screen. And any questions, um, we'll forward them on to you also, um, if any questions come into us. And then um, for our attendees, you can uh, register for any future webinars um, with us. Um, you can also request a demo of our compliance solution at uh, First Healthcare Compliance on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you so much, Pam. For, and thank you to our attendees. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And best of luck of everybody and reach out to us if um, we can help you out in any way with optimizing your revenue cycle.